You're listening to the Screening in Kingston podcast. For more on Screening in Kingston, more episodes, info about our movie clubs, and a lot more fun movie content, visit screeninginkingston.com. Is this thing on? Did it work? There you go. Look at that, Taylor. Fingers crossed. Toes We're, crossed. Uh, yeah. I mean, if, if you're hearing our voices, it means we are indeed back after the technical fiasco that was last week. Take two. Um, take two. Screening in Kingston. Here we are. We're back at it. Sorry about that. Uh, pretty much my fault. I mean, not 100% my fault, but but mostly my fault. The main point was I wanted people to know that Taylor had nothing to do with. And I appreciate that. Uh, it was honestly, it was, it was the most asked fan question, Taylor. Um, I want to share these with you. So <laughs> after our technical issues, I, I posted on social media that like, we're, we're not having an episode this week. This is what happened. Well, a couple people, I guess, don't follow us because okay. a few of them wrote in and said, Hey, what, like what's going on? What, what's happening? And the funniest one, I'm going to read the funniest one oh, first. Gosh. So the funniest one came from Lily. Who writes in and says, hey, I noticed there's not a new episode this week. You guys didn't by chance get canceled because of Taylor's comments about Army Hammer last week, did you? So I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> Who's canceling us, though? Army Hammer or just? Yeah, well, that's the thing. He is a you, he's rich, you know, Taylor. He's very rich. He, you know, he could be unhappy that that the, the little engine that could that is screening in Kingston is bashing. Him. Oh, gosh. I um no. Um, it was not Army Hammer. We have not been canceled. We are here. And yeah, we're just chugging along. We just missed a week. We missed a week because of all the technical issues, but it's all right. We're back. We're we're here and ready to go. And we got some we got a lot of, a lot to do and some fun announcements. The other like really funny email that we got was from a uh, fan of the show, Chris, number one fan, who just he just sent me screenshot after screenshot of every podcast platform and our episode not being. There. <laughs> um, so thank you, Chris, for your your repeated emails. Um, I emailed I emailed you back uh, to let you know what was going on, but hopefully you're listening this week. Um, but again, I, it makes sense. Some people probably don't follow us on social media. I tried to announce around the same time that our episode would come out that we just aren't having one uh, because of technical issues. But hey, if you don't follow us, uh, now you know we had technical issues and we're back. Normal episode. We're here. We're here. I did not cause a cancellation. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully, Chris, you'll see us on the platforms this week. And you can send yes. you can send Mike the screenshots of us being on the platforms. Yes. And we, we will finally talk about Minari of as we've been teasing it now for two weeks. Um, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, we've got some fan questions to kick things off that we should have gotten to last week. So again, I apologize. You you People have sent this in a couple. Well, I guess this would be only a week late, but still, you've been sitting there for over a week, uh, everyone who wrote in. So I want to make sure we get to those. And we have some fun announcements today. We got some fun stuff busy going episode. on in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be a very busy episode. So let's uh, let's get to it. Um, the people have written in and we'll answer them first. So the first email comes from Trace. Trace is a new listener, says, I'm really enjoying your podcast. It was recommended to me by a friend, and now I listen every week. I was wondering uh, what the time commitment is for you to do your podcast, from watching a movie, recording, editing. How much time does each episode take to put together? Thank you. And that's from Trace. I love all the 
the our fans how they want to know the behind the scenes. Are they trying to steal our secrets to do their own podcast? I'm only joking. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Maybe I always think of it as they're either just curious or they're saying like, "How much time do you really? Play <laughs> you <this?"> buffoons! <laughs> yeah, I can tell you're phoning it in. <laughs> yeah, how much time do you really put in? Um, yeah, I mean, for everything, it's it's an interesting question because you know. An episode's an hour long ish, so we recording is only about an hour, yeah. um, because we're we're pretty good at at kind of just going through with minor editing requirements. And I'll say for editing, any episode that just features you and I, Taylor, it only actually takes me. I've got it down to about a half an hour of editing. Um, my general rule used to be, you know. It, and anytime you're editing something, you've got to probably at least double the amount of time that that thing is. So if you're editing something that's an hour, it probably is going to take you two hours to edit because you've got to listen to it, go through, stop, and whatever. But when it's just you and me, we've got it kind of down now where it only takes about a half an hour. There's large sections I know I can skip because we're just chatting yeah. and it's okay. Um, but whenever you add in anyone else at all, and this isn't even like a slight against anyone, just a third person. It it adds back to like at least an hour and a half or two hours of it. I believe it. you got to cut down all the pauses and the ums and mm-hmm. the yas and whatever. Yeah. And there's usually a popping that you'll hear or, you know, lip smacking or, you know, you and I now have microphones, but another someone else that we invite as a guest might be using just their computer. So we have to like make a sound adjustments for that. So, you know, there's there's things that go. We probably it. do like um 10 minutes before the episode. Just to debrief, full hour to record, five minutes to figure out what we're doing next week. So that's like in terms <laughs> of like the actual like in real time recording. So Mike re- edits for half an hour to an hour. And then mm-hmm. how much time do we spend watching movies? It really just depends on how long the movie is and how many movies we end up watching that weekend. So that could be anywhere so between like most, an hour and 20 yeah. to like mm-hmm. seven. <laughs> it just depends. Yeah. So, I mean... Especially at the beginning, because we, we watched multiple yeah. films um, for the first couple episodes and then got into a bit of a, I think, better rhythm. But I think I think to kind of answer your question, Trace, I think it's like each week is probably just to put the show together is only probably about two hours of a commitment and then watching yeah. the movie. Which can be anything. Because as we've mentioned before, it's not like we're making vigorous notes no, no, during no. the movies. <laughs> we're just watching them coming here and talking about them. So Yeah, it's pretty uh it's pretty laid back. Well, I don't want to spoil anything, but for our big announcement, there'll be a little bit of prep time. Yes, we'll make that announcement later. Yes. Stay tuned. Um Donnie writes in, uh, you've both mentioned your interest in horror films. I have to say my favorite episodes are your horror-focused ones. Do you have any news or updates around the next Conjuring film? Any idea when we'll, if you will be doing an episode on it when it comes out? And that's from Donnie. Donnie, thanks for your your question. I think you might be. this might be the first time Donnie's writing in as well. Um, as far as yeah, I know. Yeah, we're big yeah. horror fans. I'll be honest. Um, our old segment where I was like very in tuned with the comings and goings of Hollywood news. Um, I'm not as in tuned as I once was pre COVID only because most of the news has been cancellations. So I kind of stopped following the headlines. I'm following the headlines a little bit more now because of army hammer um, and that little segment, 
Mike, I haven't heard anything about the new Conjuring. I I know they're making a new Conjuring, um, but I don't know like when it's coming out. If it's been filmed, it's if it's filming. I'll have to look a little bit into it for you, Donnie. I know that we've talked about doing like a Conjuring specific episode, um, as like a franchise, kind of like how we would do like a Marvel episode, but this it would be like a Conjuring episode. I would love to do one of the. I would love to do that once this new one comes out. I just don't. Yeah, that's the devil made me do it, right? Yeah, that yeah, the one yeah. We're that's about? what that's it's called. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's. I mean, it was supposed to come out in 2021. It like I don't know if I, I would have to look into it more too. Like I just quickly Googled and it still says 2021 on its release date. I don't know if they're gonna push that back or not. It and again, it's it's tough to tell with Hollywood because as the vaccinations do roll out in the states and things start to kind of open up, oh, Hollywood will follow with what's going on. In Wikipedia the US. is saying that it's scheduled to be released in the U.S. June fourth. 2021 okay Okay. so this summer it's scheduled still for the but now with this most recent in ontario at least with this lockdown and everything i you just don't know you just don't know how it's going to affect it so there's i think there's a chance we'll see that movie this year and i'm also on board for the lead up to that movie we could do a, a conjuring universe episode um but yeah i'd i'd at this point i don't know if anyone knows for sure until we get a date. Until our okay, butts it's, it's are in out. the seats or like yeah. we've rented the movie. <laughs> I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> but yeah, we'll, we'll definitely, we'll definitely talk about yeah, it. Yeah. I'm excited. I say that because Donnie's question here is like, are we going to cover it? Yeah. Like I, I, I like that idea. Let's do a, we'll do a conjuring universe episode leading up to it. And then we'll definitely review the cool. when it comes up. Uh, last uh, but not least comes from, of course, Josh, the inquisitor. Uh, he's got two questions for us. Um, what's your favorite foreign language film? And do you think that foreign language films get enough attention at the Oscars? So that's his first question. Well, it has its own um, category. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think that's the interesting thing is like it's it's always had its own category, or at least not always, but within the re- literally my lifetime, there's, you know, been a foreign language film category. And I also think the past several years, you're starting to see the Oscars give it more attention because foreign language films are being Parasite. nominated all over the place. Parasite, Minari. Um, what was that one for, that was a really Mexico? good one? Netflix one. Yeah, Rona. Yeah. That's it. Rona. Um, another really good foreign language film that was nominated for Best Picture. So I think you're starting to see, at least recently, it getting but more But I attention. wonder with the fact that there's now overlap between like best foreign language film and like it bleeding into other categories. I wonder if they'll just eliminate the foreign language category and the movie will just like stand on its own. Yeah. I mean, you, you could, I mean the, the advantage like with anything, if you're going to highlight something is you get to know these foreign language films where normally you might not have heard of them and you get to kind of spotlight some of them. Um, But yeah, you could, I mean, again, best picture category right now, you could nominate up to 10 films. So there's room to nominate like 10 films and several of them could be foreign language if you think that they can stand on their own. Yeah. And our favorite one, I think Cold War is my favorite foreign language film. I talk, to, I talk about it a lot on the on the show. Um, it's Polish and it's about the, the Cold War, obviously. Um, so I love <laughs> that movie. I'm sure there's other foreign language movies that um, 
I can think of that I really like. There's a couple Soviet films that I'm a big fan of. I would love to see more foreign language film. I'll, I'll, I'll admit that it's I underwatch them. I think it largely has to do with access. Um, it's mm-hmm. not always easy to get your hands on a foreign language film. Although in Kingston, we're very fortunate that the screening room does make an effort to include foreign language film. And then um, the our classic video, you can also rent foreign, foreign language films. But um, often you have to seek it out, right? So if you're not yeah. working for it, um, you might miss a couple of the really good ones. Yeah, a lot of and I'm kind of the same in terms of I've only in the past couple of years have I have I really started to watch like other foreign language films. So most of my favorites would be some of the ones that I've seen recently. But I also, you know, I'll answer this with like one of my favorites. What is the sort of the two Train to Busan yep. uh, horror films, um, which both of them, Train to Busan and uh, Peninsula, were both excellent. Like if you want a really good action adventure zombie film. They're both fantastic, um, both foreign language. And again, if if you're someone who is kind of like me, where you find it hard to to jump back and forth between between reading the text and, and watching the action and foreign film has not exactly been something that you've been into before. I think Train to Busan is a really good introduction because it's, it's mainly an action film. So it's all about visuals. There's a lot of like it's a big budget movie. So the visuals are fantastic. And the, the acting is actually especially in, in Peninsula, pretty impressive that you don't actually kind of need to hear all the dialogue and know what they're saying. Like, I, like I'm like i being honest, like I, I was blown away for both of those films. Like, I don't even really need to know what they're all saying. All the face acting. On. Yeah, like the face acting. So it's almost as though they, the director was like, okay, we're going to make sure. Like, make it accessible faces, to foreign things. markets, yes. right? Yeah, and they jump back and forth. Like they, they, they mainly speak in what, you know, a foreign language where to me you need the you know you, you need some of the subtitles but they'll jump to english every once in a while because and they wrote it into the script where it makes sense to do so so cool. yeah I, uh, I i would shout out those um his next question is are there any movie genres you dislike watching in a movie theater for example I hate watching horror movies in a movie theater due to one too many experiences with another member of the audience being disruptive, trying to scare their partner slash friends. As a result, I much prefer watching them at home in the dark. What what a crummy person. I actually, I really like watching horror movies in theater because I feel like it's that communal aspect. Like it makes the movie more scary. You know, like the person beside you jumps, so you jump. I don't know. I like I like seeing horror movies in theaters, but I've never been to a movie. I've never experienced what Josh has experienced with someone being like a, a donk. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's awful to like scare somebody during a, a movie. Like that's stupid. Like that, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Well, scare them enough, scare them enough to disrupt other people. Like it's one thing, like I can see like, oh, like if I like, you know, Dan wasn't looking at me. So I like put up my hand on his leg and that made him jump. Right. That's like subtle, subtle. What the heck are these people doing that Josh is aware of the, (laughs) of the like that's pranking. That's the thing as movie going experiences go, I think. Some of my favorite, I mean, are obviously the, the Marvel movies and the big action movies. Like, I, I love seeing those in the big theater. But horror movie is not that far behind. Because some of the best horror films I've seen and some of my, like, feelings about horror movies come from the movie-going experience. Like, uh, seeing A Quiet Place 
I'm still not never, ever, ever going to forget seeing that movie in the theaters. Like I'm just never going to forget the experience, never going to forget that movie because I saw it in the theaters. So I think horror lends itself to theater going experience so well that I, I would, I would be so mad if people yeah, I feel were bad doing for that. Josh. Really <laughs> that's crappy. Yeah. Like that's an awful movie experience and Josh loves horror movies. So I, I could feel your pain if, if someone's ruining your favorite genre, <laughs> you would just rather watch it at home because you want to enjoy it. I get it. I don't know if there's a movie genre I, I don't enjoy watching specifically in theaters. Like there are movie genres I don't like. And sometimes I don't particularly, I'm not into it. But then again, sometimes a film will come along in that genre and surprise me. But yeah, I would say that I'm not, there's no genre where I'm like, oh, I don't want to see that in theaters. Like normally it's the opposite. And we talk about this a lot on the show that like, ooh, I want to see that movie in theaters. Um, So yeah, I can't, I can't really say. I'm thinking like sometimes I don't, I don't really love maybe watching like a drama in a movie theater because it's like long and the seats aren't always like kind of get uncomfortable at a certain point <laughs> but aside from yeah aside from that, that like there isn't movies. a i would never be like ooh, i'm gonna wait to see that at home unless it's like yeah unless it's I, like a movie you don't think is gonna be good and then you don't want to spend yeah. money on the ticket and even genres i hate i'd much rather see it in the movie theater to force myself to focus yeah. um i that's because we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we had kind of a fan question about the differences in the pandemic, I, I can't remember who, who asked the question. Um, but that is something I learned about this watching from home is there are certain types of movies when I'm really not into it, I find it hard to concentrate, but I have to, because I've, I've got to watch and talk about it like a couple For days sure. later, I've got to watch it with that mindset that we're going to talk about it. So there are certain types of movies I would rather have seen in a theater this year and and we're very blessed that it's the type of movie that would have been at the screening room <laughs> so you know that's that's kind of the way to go see some of these movies we're like i don't know if i'm gonna like it but i've gotta go in the movie theater because it just it makes me focus if, if focuses the mind cuts everything out you can't look at your phone totally in the dark you shouldn't be bothering or scaring the person you're with and that's you one of the craziest it. things i've heard <laughs> Yeah, I can't believe it. Like, that's awful. That's almost... I've heard some terrible movie-going experiences from people, though, of people just talking and being rude and being awful. Yeah, people who get up to go to the bathroom, like, every half hour. That's annoying. Unless I should preface, if you have a medical condition, you know, you got to do what you got to do. But these people who don't have medical conditions... Yeah, but I don't know. What medical condition causes you to have to open your candy wrapper super slowly and loudly? Oh, well, that's and, not, and a, the time that's not a medical condition. That's just... Well, that's <laughs> annoying, too. Agreed, agreed. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. Like, the candy Open your out. candy. Like, open it before Open your candy during the, the adverts, like, during the trailers. I always do that. Everything's open by the trailers, by the adverts. And during the mo- movie trailers, I don't even mind if some people... Like say things, whatever. Because so like sometimes if I'm with people, I'll turn to them. Oh, and that say, looks oh, good. That looks good. Or oh, yeah. that movie. Yeah, I don't mind any of that. But the minute the movie starts, just don't talk. For why is it so hard? Keep it in. To just focus. Keep it in. Keep it in. <laughs> don't say anything. Don't talk. Don't make comments. Just watch. Don't check your All phone. Right. <laughs> yeah, people check their phones. Um, okay, so that was our fan question for the week. And again, I, I apologize if anyone did write in 
within a week, we probably would have missed some of the, the fan questions that would normally come in on the Monday because we were pre-recording this even earlier for this week. So I promise we'll get to your your questions later. But uh, thank you to everybody for for writing in. I'm nice to see some new people. Yeah, we love it. Right. We haven't heard before. We love to see it. Um, Let's talk some movies. Yeah. Let's uh, let's get into to finally reviewing Minari. Let's let's talk about that one first. The much anticipated because we teased it for an extra week. Worth um, Minari. Worth the hype, Mike. That's that's Taylor's the, review. Our review. That's my review. <laughs> or the movie. Worth, <laughs> worth the hype. The movie. Worth the hype. Okay. The movie. Okay. Well, let's let's and get the into review. What, what and the review. On? And the review. Okay. That's what I thought. That's what I thought you were saying is that the, our review is worth Both. the hype. Our 10 minute talk on Minari is so worth well, <laughs> waiting. Clearly our for. fans missed it. You know, there was enough concern that we got emails saying like, where were we? So it is. That is yeah. nice. I got several emails. Several people reached out being like, what's what's going on? You know um, what? I- and a few people did ask if we, we were not coming back at all. Like, <laughs> I feel like gone. we would have made a so, bigger announcement. Don't you feel like I, this is just thought. kind of an aside and it's a, a mark of the times we're in. If someone's like late to something or if someone doesn't show up for something or if someone's slow to return to my email, return emails, I automatically assume oh, they must have COVID. Is that hard? People probably thought we had COVID or something. We don't. Honestly, like the, this day and age, that's what you would think. I mean, it, technology connects everyone so easily. When someone doesn't respond to your text or email or phone call or whatever, you, you must think something's yeah. wrong. And especially right now, you would think it's yeah. COVID. Yeah, like maybe people thought we were going into COVID protocols and screening <laughs> against them. Like, even if one of us had COVID, unless we were really sick, we could. Oh, still we would power through. Sure. I've done the show sick before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's, but we demand. Yes, it. we've done the show grieving, <laughs> no like we just here. absolutely, yeah, grieving, like horrifically depressed. Yeah, we've done it all. We've been sad. We've been sick. We've been annoyed, and we've just powered through. And all, none of you knew any of it. So there you go. <laughs> um, okay. That being, Minari. That being said. <laughs> Yes. Uh, Taylor, what were your thoughts on Minari? I really okay. Well, first of all, I was a little bit ticked. I don't know how you access this movie, Mike, but I had to pay twenty dollars. That's the most. I also had to the pay most I've yeah. paid to like literally for a movie in years. Like that's how much it. Did you rent it through? Amazon? I rented it through YouTube. Oh, okay, I got it through. Amazon, but it seems okay. Place. Yeah. So, um, even when I like rent movies, typically it's under ten dollars. When you go to the screening room, it's under ten dollars if you have a membership. So, like, I'm like, wow, I could have bought a DVD. <laughs> For how much I <laughs> that's your you probably could have purchased the film. I considered it because there was a there was a download purchase option to keep on. And it was probably only like, was only like five dollars more. more. Yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe I should just buy it. But then I thought, well, I don't know if I'm gonna like it. I honestly should have just bought well, it. Well, okay, because it was good. So it I'm, was good. Yes. I'm heartbeat about like, oh, I had to pay twenty dollars. It was worth the twenty dollars. Um I would so much so that I should have just purchased it for twenty five. Yeah, outright. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like shoot. Um, it was really great. I think the performances. Um, I understand why. Um, the woman who plays the grandma is nominated for best supporting actress. She actually won a SAG award. SAG mm-hmm. SAG SAG award. A SAG award. Yeah. She's the first um Asian woman to win that award so that's great that's great really great representation i did a little bit of reading she is um very well known in korea yes. 
Um, and so this is her first, I think from what I understand, it's her first sort of breakout into like um North American audiences. Wow. She was so good. I, I agree with you. All the performances were great. She was phenomenal. Now I do want to th- just talk about performances for a second because after watching it, I was a little surprised that so um the character's name was was Monica, I think, who who was the, 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 mo- mom. the mom. Uh Yiri Han is the is the actress's name. And she wasn't nominated for anything. And I'm a little surprised. Just because I thought she was very good. She, I thought too. she was really good. And the emotional crux of the movie kind of hung on her like the plot really focuses on steven yen and like i get it it's kind of you know this is his his sort of journey but she had all the emotional weight in this movie and i guess like the farm is framing the story um yeah it was kind of surprising because the the dad of the movie he's in the walking dead what's his name yeah he was nominated for best actor right he was so again, like you got best actor, best supporting actress. I would have I guess nominated it, it her was... for best actor. Like I really, I and I wouldn't have been. I would be like all three of them deserve. It. I would have given the kid an Oscar. There was consideration <laughs> that. So there was buzz. He was up for it. I think he kind of he he lost out in terms of of the numbers, but he he was considered and submitted and for supporting even, actor. Even the sister, obviously, like the young woman who plays the, I shouldn't even say woman, she's like a girl, the young girl who plays the sister, she didn't get a lot of screen time, but every time she was on screen, very good, like very, a very naturalistic performance. Including the great, if you put the grandmother in like the five members of the family, all of them were solid. It's who you spend the majority of the movie with. It's really the family dynamic and and the family is is really the, the focus of this movie. All five of them were phenomenal and could Heck, even the even the neighbor who helps on the farm was Yes, good. that's true. Uh yes. Um <laughs> Will Will Patton, who it's nice yeah. to see him again. He remember the Titans. He's done a bunch of films. Uh he was a, he did great. He's a, he's had a long career. It was nice that he hasn't seen him in a while. He was phenomenal. Um kind of kind of an odd character. Um, but he's supposed to be, yes. you know. But like I, I was again. This the thing about this movie that w- that was really interesting to me was it never went down the directions I thought it was going to go, and where it decided to go was just more delightful. Like I being maybe I'm just a cynic. I was just like when when Will Patton's character, what's his name, Pat or Paul? Paul. Paul. So when Paul you know sells them the the kind of truck to begin with and says like you know i'm I'm also a good worker and you kind of meet him i didn't think first of all he was going to get hired and then that that he was going to cause problems for the family and he just never did he yeah was he was just, just he literally just helped them he was, he was just, just like helpful. a nice yeah a nice employee a nice employee like it just it just never <laughs> went the direction i thought it would because in another type of movie that was you know similar he would have sabotaged exactly he would have been he would have been the reason why the farm didn't succeed mm-hmm. yeah and i thought that anytime they were interacting with people so like for context this movie takes place during the 80s the f- movie follows um a Korean immigrant family who is trying to grow a farm and I think I want to say Arkansas, Arkansas. but like def- yeah. yeah definitely the south and so given kind of the racial climate what we know of kind of the 1980s south I was concerned that this movie would really be not concerned and like I thought it I want to be careful how I phrase this I thought the way the movie would go was that it was really going to be like um, 
them facing adversity because yeah, of too. their race, which yeah. like isn't that is a perfectly fine story to mm-hmm. tell, but it, like it's a very tense movie to watch, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I'm it was refreshing that they didn't face. I mean, they faced adversity in other ways, but like ev- you're right, Mike. Like every time they would interact with a local, you think, oh, this is going to go really bad. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> and this that's is like they're. That's what we've been trained to do for movies and, frankly, life. Because exactly what you said is 100% true. In in most scenarios, when you're watching a movie like this and it's focused on a family that's not from the area, even because it doesn't even have to be they're from a different country. It could have been city city dwellers versus country folks, or like whatever. There's going to be an issue, and this this movie in a refreshing way where it still got a cross point without forgetting about culture. It didn't make this movie about race. It's about culture. There's cultural things that that come into play, but it's a it's a nice story about a family. And I actually would argue that this do, can do just as as good to to help get more movies like this made by seeing a movie that you can sit and be like, oh, I I can see my family within this. I can see me here, yeah, like even though they're not like me. You it's like it. I did feel like we took a step in the sense that we can tell multicultural stories without it always having to be about. And again, like I don't want to minimize portraying racism on film. I think it's important. Mm -hmm. I think it starts conversations, but I think it also does a disservice to, and it's the same with like, um, you know, a woman centric movie has to be about sexual assault or like a a movie with gay characters has to be about AIDS. Right. Like I feel sometimes that when we talk about representation, sometimes the stories that end up being portrayed are always the really negative side of that, that identity group. Again, I think we have, we, we have to tell those stories, but it was so refreshing to see another you know, a still a representational story similar with like, um, oh, um, the movie we reviewed last year about the grandma who's passing away from cancer. Oh, um, um, uh, um some, something about family, isn't that in the title? Yeah, um, the, the last no. <laughs> visit or something. Anyways, I'm yes, with Aquafina. Yes. So like, mm. again, that was a multicultural story and it didn't dwell on, you know, racism or like the most negative parts of some of the sometimes how we have to tell that story and i think so, that's where the oscars this year kind of did get some things right yeah because, we're, we're taking a step ahead in terms of yeah, representation we're telling 100%. lots of stories the, the, that minari, look different minari and judas and the black messiah and promising young woman can all do very good things by being three completely separate types of films by, yeah. by taking issues from three very different directions, especially like if you compare Minari to Judas and the Black Messiah, both could have gone down the similar paths, but one was very hyper-focused on, okay, we're going to talk about race and the injustice, and this is based on things that have happened. And Minari, also based on things that happen all the time of people coming to, to America or another country to move and to to change jobs and to face it made it really about culture and family and and that being at the heart of it. And both have their place and can be very good, which is what we've seen. Like these are all very good films. Like I loved the, how in the, in Minari, no one ever was like, what's this Korean family doing here making a farm? Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? That could have been the movie. Right. And like, 
there have been movies like that being like that's that's the conflict in the film like you know like oh these outsiders coming and they're gonna prove the town wrong like that never that never was what was at stake in the film and that's what I really um found refreshing about it and yeah I just felt like it was a really nice film like there definitely was a lot of tension yeah um you know is the is the farm gonna work is it not gonna work are the parents gonna get a divorce are they not gonna get a divorce um and then like the the grandma um like the will she get along with the little boy will they become (laughs) friends um the only really complaint that i have about the movie was i wish the movie was less about the farm and more about the little boy and the grandma yeah, I would have watched definitely. a whole movie just of the two of them. Yeah, I think that that they could have gone further and done. I I felt like I was missing one or two more scenes of them sort of on an adventure. Like I thought one of the best moments of the scene was going going down to the pond to the kind of the lake in the forest and kind of the the grandmother with the kids. Those the moments, snake. the snake. Um, the the kind of like the kid the little boy like complaining about oh you you can't cook and you can't do all these yeah. other things what you can you swear. do yeah and you then wear hard, boy underwear hard cut to them like playing cards and her like <laughs> playing swearing this, like, at him swearing at him it's just it's it, all of that stuff was the, I think some of the best parts of the movie and yeah I think it it really seemed to frame around this farm and I think it wanted to kind of show the 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 journey that Steven Yen's character was going to go on throughout this whole thing. But I, I agree. I, I think that the that's more interesting the characters, yes. in my opinion, yeah. were the, the relationship between the, the little boy and the grandma. I'm almost, I'm also biased because the grandma really reminded me a lot of my Baba. Yeah. And like the relationship that I had, like I never made my Baba drink pee, but <laughs> <laughs> which is a scene in the movie, but just like the, you know, um, what, what are, what are grandmas, what are grandmas supposed to do? So like mm-hmm. just the personality of the grandma in this movie was very similar to the personality of my Baba growing up. And um, as longtime listeners of the show may, I think um, you guys know about a year ago, my Baba passed away. So watching this movie, felt very comforting to me in a way like being able to see and even though my baba wasn't korean she was an immigrant um so yeah i guess it's (laughs) i'm a little bit biased just because i did i did feel like a very personal connection to the film same with the actually that that other (laughs) movie we can't remember the name of with aquafina i felt a very called the family or something like that i think it's called the last visit is okay well all right. Let well, me. We'll, okay, we'll we're gonna have to look it we'll, up. We will look this up because we can't. We can't keep going on like this. Because um, <laughs> I've mentioned the movie twice now, and I can't and for just, the life yeah, of me try, try to figure out um, um, who they're in. So we'll we'll look it up now. We'll we'll try to figure out uh, the farewell. The farewell. Okay. Okay. I knew it was like time. goodbye. Um, so, go, anyways, I felt like um, I like gave the farewell a really good review too, but it also was at a time where like my Baba was passing away. So um, 
it's hard. Like, so Mike, maybe you have like a a less biased review. Yeah, well, no, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because I think that when a film can reach you in a certain way, I don't think that to me that's not biased. Like, you could say I'm biased towards films with really good performances that are well written and well directed. I'm biased towards that, but those are just the qualities that I look for. When when something touches you personally, I think that that's fair. Um, I because I. I'm agreeing with you. Minari is a fantastic movie. I thought it was well acted. I thought it was well directed. I really liked the story. I had the same only one. I don't even want to even call it like a criticism. I just would have liked to have shifted the focus a little bit, give one or two more scenes over to um, the the grandmother with the kids. Um, maybe take away some of the scenes and going back to the chicken factory, which ended up being kind of pointless i guess just to show the monotony of this is their their kind yeah. of day job but there was a few couple things that just didn't go anywhere like the you know the i guess they wanted to set up the the church and the things that are going on with that but you could have cut down on on some of those scenes to focus a little bit more um on them but again with that being said it was still a very good movie i thought it flowed really well in that it didn't feel long it didn't drag on um for a movie where the the exciting events are mainly te- family tension and kind of everyday things. It really did a good job of raising the stakes and making it feel real, making it feel like there is a you know a risk here, and you can kind of relate to what's going on with the family. Yeah, it was just uh, it never felt cheesy. It never felt you know. It really felt authentic. Uh, I think it goes. Um. It may be why it felt so real was it is semi-autobiographical. Ooh, struggled on that word today. Um, The filmmaker based it on his own childhood growing up, some of the aspects of it. So that may be why it feels so real, right? And I read an interesting thing. Um, This was actually, he wrote this script, I believe, in 2019. um, And he thought, this might be the last movie I ever make. Um, he was thinking about taking a position to teach filmmaking at a university. Mm. So he thought this might be the only opportunity I ever get to make a movie again. So I'm going to put myself completely in the movie. Well, it and shows. I thought that's like, wow. Like that was such, like, I hate to describe things as like nice. Cause it feels like a cop out, but that's, I think that's why the movie feels so nice and like so good. Right. Like the yeah, the, filmmaker, the intentions are very yeah. Good. And I think those types of intentions do come come off in a film. And I think that people don't always think about that. And maybe you, you don't know why. Because like, I didn't know that information until you just told me. But if you were just to It makes sense, me, right? Yeah, it makes sense. And if you were just to ask me to, to describe this movie, I would have said, it's got to be someone's passion project. They put a lot into it. You could tell that the hard work and the caring was there. I mean, I hope that this filmmaker makes more movies. But also, I'm a big fan of, if you don't have a story to tell then just wait until you you get inspiration and and tell one. Because to me, this is an original story that was extremely well done. And again, I, yeah, I don't, I don't want to say anything controversial here, but race to me didn't play a factor in this movie and it doesn't, it didn't matter. I can still connect with it. I don't care if Steven Yen and I are not from the same part of the world. I can connect to some of the things that he was going through. I could see myself in one day being like, you know, I, I'm someone who can dive passionately into something and, you know, would it overwhelm my ability to connect with other people because you're so focused on this dream? I could relate to him. So I think that that's a good thing the film did. That's a, that's to me it, shows a good, strong director. 
it normalizes seeing different people on screen. That's a great without way to it, it being out emphasizing the difference. Is that's yeah. what I'm like again. I'm trying to be so careful these days with my words because I don't want to offend anyone, but I also want to try to get my point across. But I agree with you, Mike. It's the sense that even though the characters were Korean. They also could have been anyone. They could have been Russian immigrants like my family. They could have been from Pakistan, whatever. But the fact was it was a, you know, these people come and they're trying to make the best of it um, and live their dreams under, you know, difficult circumstances. And not losing your culture at the same time. I think that's an important point. It's not as though though you're, you're taking a family from somewhere else and they have to become American. That's not what this movie was about. Um, The culture's there. And the only good quote ever that came out of Star Trek Discovery, that nightmare of a disaster was in the pilot episode, a character says it, it would be best not to confuse race and culture. And that's an interesting point. It's an interesting thing. It's like the only Star Trek-y thing they ever said because there might be counterpoints to that. There might be points to that. That's an interesting place to go. But this movie, it's about culture. And it's and he brings his culture, his heritage, so much to the farm in, in the types of vegetables he wants to make, in yep. the types of food he wants to do. Even the, the argument over water at the beginning and how he's going to try to draw it from the land and how he's going to farm differently. That sort of he keeps all of that, even though he's in America, he's got his background as a part of it. And I thought that was a very powerful thing to say. You can move somewhere and be part of another place and be, be part of another place, but keep that aspect of who you are. I also loved that he was uncompromised. The filmmaker was uncompromising in terms of language. So, uh, you know, I would say even five years ago, 10 years ago, he would have had all of the characters speak in English the whole movie, maybe with a Korean accent, but the dialogue would have been all in English. Mm-hmm. This movie was largely in Korean. Correct. And that makes sense. Like as an immigrant family, you probably wouldn't be speaking a lot of English at home. Um, they kind of go in between the language. Like sometimes, you know, sometimes they switch into English but for the m- most part, I would say the film is really in Korean when, you know, all yep. five of the family members are together. And I thought that was really great as well. Yeah, um, I, I agree. And I hope we see more of that. Yeah, um, and, and it was done in such a good way that, again, it you just don't notice it after a while. Yes, you're reading um, off the screen, but it's so well done. It just fits. Everything fits. And I, I'm also glad to see that. I'm glad that they're, they're, they're speaking their language throughout. You get, you know, those moments, right, where an English character's around and you speak English, but it was real, exactly what you're saying. Those are the actual moments where you would hear English. But at home alone, why, like, why would you be speaking English? So, yeah, yeah. I, I 100% agree with that. Uh, for me, Minari is a see it. Me too, hands down. There you go. Um, obviously, now in Kingston, <laughs> you won't be going to the theaters to watch, no. um, but it's well worth the $20. I agree. <laughs> I, even maybe if you have an Amazon account, just buy it. It's probably easier. Yeah, pay the extra <laughs> five bucks. Yeah, just own it. <laughs> um, you saw another movie this week. Why don't you tell us about that? Documentary. Yeah. So um, I watched, and I, for some reason I have a hard time saying it, Crip Camp. 
Mm -hmm. Crip Camp. It's almost like a tongue twister. Mm -hmm. So it's nominated for best documentary feature. So like a full length film. I think it was like about an hour, half, an hour and a half or two hours. I watched it on Netflix. Um, I do believe it's considered like a Netflix original, but it is nominated for an Oscar. And it follows, it's actually, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be going in, just based kind of on the, the trailer on Netflix, but it was very good. So the premise of the documentary is, it's the 1970s, and there is a camp in the Catskills, like in upstate New York, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, and the camp is specifically for developmental and physical disabilities, like children, children with developmental and physical disabilities. And so the setup is that, you know, it's the 1970s, um, all of these, um, young people with various disabilities, whether it be, you know, um, they're paraplegic because of polio or they have cerebral palsy or uh, spina bifida. There's also some developmental disabilities. Anyways, all of these kids come together and are at this camp. And so you think, okay, the documentary, especially because it's called Crip Camp, it's really just going to be a documentary about the history of this camp or what this camp was like in the 70s. Right. Yeah. But it's only a launching point. So the documentary is actually about, and this is something that I'll fully admit I did not know a lot about. You hear so much about the civil rights movement. You hear, hear so much about kind of the sexual revolution, feminism. Well, while all of that's happening in the 70s, um, people with disabilities were also trying to advocate for their own civil rights um, because at this time there were, they didn't have civil rights. Like, it what now now we have divots in the sidewalk for wheelchairs to get on from the road to the sidewalk right like right. Yeah. to us that's like duh of but in the 70s they didn't design cities like that it wasn't mandatory um it you know it wasn't so mandatory no wow I, I i didn't know that either wow the buildings so what we know as like accessibility buildings did not have to be designed to be accessible like wow. Buildings didn't have to have ramps. They didn't have to have um, elevators for wheelchairs. So anyways, I like didn't what we take for granted a as like able bodied people, but yeah. then also just we the live in a world for so long. Yeah. yeah. But so the documentary covers about how a lot of young people with disabilities came together at this summer camp and kind of became radicalized, right. realizing sharing their experiences, realizing, you know, um, there's nothing wrong with us. There's something wrong with the world, essentially. Mm -hmm. One of the camp counselors who's um, who doesn't have disabilities, he said that. He's like, we realized being camp counselors at this camp that the people with disabilities, there's nothing wrong with those people. The problem is with us, like people who don't have disabilities, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so the documentary, you know, uses the camp as a jumping off point and then follows what would be sort of the disability rights movement. And it took until I think the end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s for them to finally pass this legislation that made accessibility mandatory, like that, in that hospitals, universities, um, just like private businesses. So they passed Legislation was passed in the 70s, but it wasn't enforced. 
And like businesses would say like, oh, we can't afford it. Like blah, blah, blah. So anyways, it was a very powerful documentary. Um, One of the campers, like one of the former campers, he was the co-director of the documentary. So again, speaking about the importance of representation. So the fact that um, someone with a disability was involved in the making of the movie is very important because um, for so long, people with disabilities have been spoken for, like someone has spoken on their behalf, whereas this movie really is reclaiming their voices and shows how this movement was led by people with disabilities and they are, really are the ones that made it happen. Like it, if it wasn't for them literally having a sit-in, like they sat they like occupied a government building. I think it was in the early eighties for like almost a month. Wow. It was just like, it really like, it really just goes to show how privileged I am. Like how I come from a place of privilege, how I never, I am so, I've never even had to conceive of what it would have been like for them. You know what I mean? Like we take yeah, so much for granted. For like, sure. um, yeah, so it was a very powerful documentary. I understand why it's nominated for best documentary. The only thing is I wish they would have. <laughs> so ultimately, the documentary is about sort of the disability rights movement, which mm-hmm. is a very important story to tell. I just wish I had so many questions about the camp. Well, yeah, <laughs> like- <laughs> I was about to ask, like you said, so the camp was kind of the the launching point for the yeah. documentary, but also so the movement, like you were saying, a lot of people got together at this camp and kind of discussed what to do and kind of yeah. formed here? Like, is that how they kind of planned and, and put a plan together is it through this so camp? It seems like, um, you know, the kids, they're, they came of age going to this camp and they would have, like, opportunities to speak with one another, obviously, because it was run, like, just like a normal summer camp. So, like, what do normal summer camps do? Kids talk at the dining hall, whatever. So, um you know, they started to become radicalized in the sense that they realized that they needed to kind of um, organize, like in a in a social justice sense, they needed to like, their voices needed to be organized. So it, it seemed like, okay, so, you know, summer camp's over, they go home, and then they all kind of go their separate ways. But individually, they started taking on... Um, advocacy work like one of the main you characters so to speak but one of the main um protagonists of the story she sued new york state so she had um or she's still alive she became paralyzed her lower body was paralyzed due to polio um and was in a wheelchair is in a she had been in a wheelchair since she was very very little so she had gotten i guess a teaching degree and New York State would not allow her to teach because they claimed she was a fire hazard for being in a wheelchair. This was in the 70s, Mike. The 70s. Wow. This is like our parents. They're like our parents' age, the people in this documentary. Right, right. Yeah. Right? Um, not, not that long ago. Like the 70s. No. Not that long ago. No. Nope. So she sued the state and won. Um, or no, sorry. She settled. They settled out of court. So um but i I think that means i don't know a lot about law we always talk about how we need a lawyer on the show i think it she i think essentially she was allowed to teach but she realized that more advocacy work needed to be done and she formed sort of like a like a non-profit advocacy group and again because she had you know 
had met all these people at summer camp and some of these other summer camp kids were kind of doing now they're adults and they're doing their own thing. They stayed in touch and they kind of developed like a network. And like, so they all got back in touch with each other, you know, and um, there was a bunch of people in New York and then some, some of the campers moved out to Berkeley. Cause I guess there was a major uh, disabilities rights rights movement on the Berkeley campus. So some of the former campers moved to California and they called up people from New York saying like, hey, cool things are happening in Berkeley. Why don't you move out? So like, it was really interesting. You see how it's like, you know, think of it like you're, you're, you know, growing up, there's still people that you stay in touch with from your childhood, right? So that's what these people did. And like through this network that they had created based around the summer camp, it really created a disability rights movement and that those relationships and that network made them successful in finally passing this legislation. And they did it without the use of like the modern way we connect, you know, like back, back then <laughs> you, you had to connect at summer camp. Cause it's not like you call someone up on your cell phone. It's not there like was a message. There's an amazing scene where they're occupying there's like some of the documentaries, like actual footage from that time period. And then there's like talking head interviews. So they're, they're interviewing someone and it's during the sit-in and they say like, oh, and then the phone lines were cut. Like the government cut the phone lines to the building to try to like push them out of the building. And they were like, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then they're like, and then the deaf people were like, oh, we know what to do. And they started, instead of using telephones, the deaf people would sign, I should, sorry, the people who had deafness were signing out the window. And that's like how they would communicate to people down to like get stuff into the building. That's great. Wow. And it was just like, again, like I was just thinking like, we, this story, I've never heard this story before. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like we've heard so much about, and again, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with hearing about the civil rights movement. Um, nothing wrong with hearing about the like women's liberation, but it just goes to show we need to have so many more stories. Definitely. Like the, it was, yeah, it was great. It was, um, like I said, very powerful, like hearing their, what I would call like testimony, like hearing their recollect, recollect, recollections, like their, um, their memories about that time. Um, it was well made. Again, my only critique, and this is just like personal. Um, it's like anything when you're watching a movie, like Minari, right? Like I yeah. really liked the grandma and the son. I the grandma and the grandson. I wish there was more of that in this documentary. I wish they had spent more time just talking about the camp. Yeah. Um. I. I. Think but otherwise, the, you enjoyed it. Yeah, I think the documentary was only maybe an hour and a half. Like oh, I don't. I think they could have added another half hour just about the camp. There's, like, I yeah, don't think awkward. there's more to tell. I'm sure I would have enjoyed watching more. So um, it's available on Netflix. If you're a documentary buff, I certainly recommend watching it. Even if you're not a documentary buff. Um, yeah, I would think, you give it a see it? Like, even if you're not a documentary buff? Yeah, I would say buff? give it, give it a see it because yeah. I think everyone should watch this documentary. Like yeah. things that we take for granted just in terms of like, civic design like how like how roads are built and sidewalks are built things that you would never even think of really based on this documentary we owe that to the disability rights movement and that's something that i never you know out of my own ignorance yeah. never would have even thought about and that's something we should know 
bad thing to get more knowledge, right? To just yeah. learn something. This documentary teaches us something you just didn't know. Yeah. And that's the thing. You don't know that these things you take for granted now all came from this movement. That's, that's yeah, great. it was really that's, great. So um, I kind of watched it by accident, was looking for something to watch, yeah. turned yeah. it on, and yeah. it was well worth it. That's awesome. Give it a shout out. Okay. Um, just in the final few minutes, we're going to make a couple quick announcements because we got some yeah. fun stuff coming up. So next week's episode, April 20th, is our Screening in Kingston first ever awards episode produced by uh, by our friend Austin who's written into the show several times. He has produced and put together an episode for us, hosted by Tyler Vance. Tyler Vance will be hosting next week's awards it's a show. Real, it's a, a fan show made by the fans for the fans. Taylor <laughs> and I know very little. We know the categories we've been assigned and told to prepare our nominations for, but Tyler is is hosting it. We, we have some surprises in there that we don't know about. So it's going to be, yeah, truly one of our fans has produced this episode and uh, we'll have a little bit more about how it works next week. But just so you know, fans, we will be counting on you to be involved because once Taylor and I nominate things for categories, we're going to release it on our website and you'll have a, a week or so to vote. And You're our winner. academy. Exactly. You're our <laughs> academy. We're just the nomination committee. You're the academy. So all that will be next week, April 20th. We'll have Tyler Vance back. Uh, Austin's the producer and, and the three of us will just go through that. And the week after is our Oscars show. So that's April 27th. So by the time this episode's out, though we, we probably will have announced it uh, you know, last week on social media, the Oscars pool is back. The ballots are live on our website. Go to screeningandkingston.com. Fill out your Oscar ballot. Pick who you think is going to win. Uh, it's going to be a tough year this year, Taylor, but I'm I'm striving to win it. So For me, it's a win even if I don't do as bad as last year. You just want to finish like in the top half is, is your yeah. goal, right? Yeah. I don't want to be like second to the bottom like I was last year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And That's like the a- year before, like third from the bottom. Yeah. I think I did worse last year than the wor- year before. Yeah. And people have until <laughs> April 23rd. I want to mention that. You have until April 23rd. That's the Friday before the Oscars to do your ballot. Um, All you have to do to enter is have a first name and an email. The email is just so I can email you your ballot once you've submitted it. I can email it to you. You can watch along. Um, And then if you do win, we'll try to reach out to you, maybe do something fun um, as part of you winning. But those are our two big announcements. The next two weeks, lots of fun awards show stuff coming up. Fill out your Oscar ballot, screeningandkingston.com for more. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll uh, see you next week. Go stream some movies. Thank you for listening to the Screening in Kingston podcast. Recorded at CFRC at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. Queen's University sits on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee and Anishabi peoples. We would like to thank the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences and the CFRC Podcast Network.